<laughs> um, oops, sorry. Okay, settle down, Ryan. I'm one lucky chronicler today because we have Helly Turner in this week's chapter. Above many things, Helly Turner is a well-respected, award-winning, and immensely practiced playwright. If you're lucky, you might be able to get a ticket and see Helly's most recent project, The Lighthouse Girl, now playing at the State Theatre Centre. Now, born in Camden in New South Wales, but grew up in Darwin, Helly Turner was resident playwright for professional WA theatre ensemble Company M from 2005 and 2010. Her awards and acknowledgements include two WA Premier Book Awards, two WA Premier Book Award nominations, one Equity Guild Award, three Equity Guild Award nominations, and a Richard Burton Award nomination, just to name a few of her many accolades. Funnily enough, I first met Hayley nine years ago when she wrote and directed my first play, Our Ellen Brooke, My Place. Basically, it was a well-informed, witty community advert that provided a gigantic learning experience for many people. The last words that Helly Turner shared with me before she departed for France with her husband, Steve, was, don't worry, just keep it up, kid. And for these past nine years, that's what I've been trying to do. Helly, welcome. Hi, Ryan. That's a, that was a lovely thing to say, actually, because I, I can't recall that. However, I do recall that particular project was immensely satisfying for me. Is teaching artists an attractive proposition? Teaching artists? Yeah. You mean me mentoring um, or, and passing on my skills at this... Mm. At, look, at uh, yes, absolutely. I'm totally invested in the fact that you know, I want yeah, I want our industry to be really, really rich and ongoingly rich. And and I've been through a time where, you know, there are, it, it's a an industry built with, with inbuilt frustrations because it's not financially well supported. You know, we're not we're not high on the agenda in terms of money from the government. But look, there are Perth has a plethora of of amazing artists and. The only way that continue, you know, we, you know, and that, and I, and my history is very long, so I, I go back over, you know, forty years of, maybe even, you know, let's go forty years, <laughs> forty years of working, you know, with with artists in in this town, and it's an, it's extremely rich in that way, and extreme, and the artists are uh, very, wor- you know, the things we have are worthy of passing on, you know, and it's only by the, you know. It's only due to the fact that pe- that established artists will pass on their skills and, and knowledge that we keep, you know, because there's there's all there's lots of new information that comes in from other places. Of course, you know, people study and there's these and there's world artists, of course, that we all recognise, and there's and there's things to be learned. But I think the kind of learning that comes from successful artists in your own neighbourhood uh, is that their learning is very specific to to. Our, you know, our place. You know, mm. we have a very um, different. WA artists have a different voice and a different set of needs, and because of our isolation, and you know, the world may still. You know, these days, people say, "Oh, yeah," but we've got the, you know, we've got the internet, and we've got, and that's all very good. But it, um, and yes, we have email, and yes, now we can email scripts and things like that, and we can have conversations with people quite instantly in the west, in the east. Where the hub of, you know, the hub of all things theatre, you know, tends to be mm. in, in Australia. But 
nonetheless, there's nothing nothing that replaces being in the room with someone and being able to impart something to them face to face. So, with that in mind, and I guess it, it's a little way of, if I look at it in the big picture, I think I think that passing things on to young people is, is a oh, it's a deep pleasure when something works, when something you've taught, when you know appears before you. But apart from that, that's a little probably a little bit egotistical. But it's also that thing of wanting, I guess it's in human nature, you know, there's a degree of wanting to be, maybe maybe be remembered, but not in big ways. So, you know, I have absolutely no um, longing for being a celebrity or any, I've never had what, you know, it's all about the work for me. But but I would love, you know, it, when, once I pass on to, you know, no, nothingness, because I'm an atheist, um, once, once I go from this world, I'd, I'd love it if, you know, some young person that I once knew said great things about me, you know, mm. said, oh, she was, a, she was a good person who knew a lot of stuff and she told me something, you know, that would be great for me. Because, and you know, and I, I hark back to this gorgeous, gorgeous actor who um, died a few years ago, uh, Maggie Ankertel, and, mm. and Maggie was, was, she trained at RADA and... Mm. She was, a, uh, she was a really great actor and I worked with her on a number of projects and she was, she was delightfully proper. She was to, totally proper, but she was often heard to say, oh, fuck, 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 in the most <laughs> rather of voices and it, it used to crack me up so much. And, and she was, and she, you know, she imparted things to me, which I, you know, because mm. I was a very young director when I worked with her and I... Um, I just, she would, you know, just, she was just so well invested in the craft of acting and I had trained as an actor but, but she had this other kind of training and it was, it was just, she introduced me to something and so I'll always remember her and I'll always speak really fondly of her and, and not because, not, not just because she was a wonderful person but because she was, she had this, um, she imprinted on me. It's very curious because um, a couple of episodes ago, I think a month ago, I interviewed um, Susie Conti, and she's studying her master's degree at, at WAPA. Yes, yes, I'm working with her. Oh, wow. At, right at this very moment. Oh, fact. wow, that's great. I, ha um, I, I have this project at, at WAPA called Self-Portrait Masturbating, which is about Egon Schiele and the artist in Austria, and Susie is my director. Oh, wow, that's... Oh, <laughs> well, I, I was asking her, what's it like... like I want to ask you this, because you brought up What's it like working, being a young director? Because one day I want to go into directing, but I, I have this fear of directing older people, older actors. Do you mean more exper experience? Yeah, yeah experience. Yeah, for like someone course. like in their 60s or like, you know, 50s, because I remember my directing teacher, you know, she would say, especially with male actors, middle-aged male actors, you just leave them alone, basically. Look, you know, it, I do remember really clearly it, it's formidable to, to be a young director. I remember when I first started working with professional actors, and it is a little scary. But the thing is, you there is a you know there's also this inbuilt respect in in actors be, if, who are trained well and mm. for the hierarchy in the room, you know. And the director is a person who is at the top of the pile, and you know. Well-trained, experienced actors know that, and they're respectful. You, you know, occasionally you meet someone who's not very respectful, and, but that's about them as a person. It's not about them. You know, you're going to meet them in life anyway. So, but you just go forth, young man, and do it. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, cut your teeth and you'll meet all these beautiful people who, and, and most of them will want you to succeed because they're in the project. Mm. Um, and they will be helpful. Other, you know, occasionally you'll run into someone who is a bit cantankerous, but it's not age. Often you'll find it's personality. It's not, mostly people are experienced actors are usually very gracious, I have found. And, I, you know, I've done enough work in, you know, with them to know that. Do you have, because I'm interested, because like I was saying before, um, Iron Brook, Iron Brook, my place, was the first play I ever did. But I remember in that particular work, obviously you're, you're dealing with a lot of local history. And I notice in your yes. work, you deal with a lot of history. For example, uh, Project Zion at Pika in 2016, last year. Project Zan. Zan, yeah. sorry. Project Zan. I'm just curious, because that, that's, that's history. Although really, uh, really it's, sad. It, yes. Do you have a different creative process when dealing with your own fiction, a world that you've invented? Oh, absolutely. Or with history? Of course. I mean, both involve research. I do an, an incredible amount of research. Um, but something like Project Zan is more of a documentary theatre, and it's per, it's very much personal history, mm. um, as opposed to a broader history, like at the moment, the Lighthouse Girl, and, and back in 2015, when I did um, The Dreaming Hill, both of those being Anzac projects, that was a more broadly known history. And, you know, Project Zan, for example, was... It's about story, probably. I tend to be more of a story person. I, I you know, many of my commissions tend to be those, the, the things that are more historically founded. But having said that, I was on tour uh, a few years ago, except maybe, it's probably turning into several years ago now, that I think about. Um, and I found, uh, someone pointed out the, uh, this great story in a museum and I ended up writing Mad Fred about Frederick Deeming, the, the murderer that was once considered could possibly, who may possibly have been Jack the Ripper. That was a fascinating project and, and I mounted that one myself. Most of my history-based projects um, come from commissions because people want those stories told in a certain way. But I'm just interested in story. I mean, I'm... I'm vitally vitally interested in people even my fictions are character you know my fictional plays are character driven yeah I it's, it's really all I can say it's just my in, intense love of people I think which doesn't mean I trust them all it just means that <laughs> I, I do love the flaws and you know I'm really really interested in, in hu the human condition in the sense of relationship and what we do to each other and human sexuality and just the way, just the, you know, human cruelty, all of those things that point to us being human, I suppose. Well, I don't want to ask, I think that's, I've got this question in my head, but I think I'll, I'll leave it till later. I'm very interested, because we're talking a bit before, like, Camden Town. Um, Camden Town. The reason why I say Camden Town, because before I, I met with Heli, we're talking about um, Michael Gambon, Sir Michael Gambon, the, the British actor who played Dumbledore. And in London... He's from Irish parents, but they went to England, and he grew up in Camden, Camden Town. Oh so my God. I've, I've got, I've got that in my head, Camden Town. But you, you grew up in Camden. No, I was. No, Cam I, what, oh, no, the, the story is this: I was born in Camden. My parents were very itinerant. Mm. Um, they were a band of gypsies for a, for a long time, and 
I, but I was born in the in this very, what was a very small town at the time, and here is a, here's my birth story that I do tell occasionally because I think this is very interesting. Years ago, I was in a, a an acting class with Dr. Jeffrey Gibbs, which people people will remember from the academy, and we were talking about our we were talking about our histories. Each actor had to um, just to talk about themselves, and so I, I in in the circle of say twenty actors who were doing the course with me. We went around and talked about being, you know, where we were born, and and I was telling the story about how I was born on, you know, blah, 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 on in whichever year, and <laughs> whatever night, and then we get around to the no, I think it might have worked in the other way. Actually, in fact, it, this other girl told the story of of her birth, and it turns out whatever. We were both born on the same night. My mum used to talk about this other baby and this mother that screamed and screamed and screamed. And it turned out she was the only other baby born in that little small town on that night. Um, and she was the, the, the baby whose mother was a screamer. <laughs> it was so funny. Yeah, and here we were both, you know, X number of years later, like yeah. 20, must have been 23 years later or 22 years later, sitting in this circle... Of, and you know what are the odds of that? And both of us were born in the same hospital on the same night. That's, yeah, it's bizarre, but it's true. But let me tell you some other little point. Yeah, and yeah. this is going off at a tangent. No, no. Myself, this this is how things work in strange ways. I think myself, Reg Crib, uh, Chris Isaacs, and Dorothy Hewitt are all born on May twenty first. So how's that? Four West Australian playwrights all born. On May twenty first, so yeah, I just, I you know, I I find that really really fun that fact. That's crazy. Yeah, I know. That's something. Yeah. Another fact about speaking about these playwright facts, one of the artists I really like is Stephen Burkoff, the British, yes, gregarious, yes, yes. um, very passionate artist, and he said about him, Harold Pinter, and there's this another major important British playwright. He was saying. All of their fathers were Jewish and tailors. Oh, okay. And he says there's a special... Anyway, he's making this wonderful metaphor. There is something um, unique about how tailor... It's like writing, tailoring... Although we don't have many tailors these days. They're very rare. But he's saying how tailors, that they, they like writing. It's like editing and cutting the fabric oh, totally. and cloth. And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that's a beautiful analogy, actually. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I guess there's a lot of people and maybe, you know... I suppose if you talk about birthdays, we've really only got 365 or 66 <laughs> yes. to choose from. But it's still amazing that in a small place like Perth, yeah. you know, um, four very dominant writers or playwrights mm. um, share the, birth, the same birthday. Yeah. No disrespect, but I do find you an artistic elder. Like, yeah, taught me many things when I was very, very young and still do. Um, Thank and you. I'm, I just want to get the, the, your, your sort of temperature on our local industry. Do you think our industry has been in better shape in previous years, or do you think it's it's been better than ever now? It, it's a look. You know, I look. We we suffer from the closure of Deck Chair and mm. Perth Theatre Company, but you know we've had other closures. There was when the state the, the previous um, state theatre company was closed that used to operate out of oh the whole. What was then kind of, or previously, the Hole in the Wall Theatre, 
uh, when that closed, that caused a great deal of pain in the previous in a previous generation. You know, they there were people with immaculately they thought established careers and and somewhere to be and go and and you know people working at quite, at a at a high level and they were very disappointed when that happened and rightly so. Theatre, like all other industries, goes you know is organic and it it, it suffers from you know the political who are who your political leaders are because if they don't have an interest in the arts, the arts suffer, mm. you know. And it, 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 I guess it's the same for all, you know, um, industries. I think theatre, we, we're all very... We're, we're in some ways, we're quite unique because we're... It's not like a nine-to-five job. It's not possible. Most of us have other jobs, mm. you know, to support us. If we gave up and just went off and did these jobs, you know, the whole thing would collapse because, um, you know, if we, it, it's just dependent on a lot of goodwill. And I think um, at times, I think the question probably revolves around individuals in some ways because some individuals would say, oh, no, it's really great because they've managed to get opportunities. Like I could say at the moment, you know, my opportunities are, have been very good lately. Hmm. But I have been, you know, like all other artists, that that is ebb and flow. You know, go sometimes there's great wealth and, and excitement about your projects and other times you're just scratching to make a living and keeping trying to keep your life in balance. At the moment, I think we're in a good position. I think we you know, we have a new state theatre hmm. head and this is different. We had a wonderful head of, you know, not state theatre yeah. Black Swan. Let's just talk about Black Swan. Yeah. You know, Black Swan was headed up by Kate Cherry, and mm. she was she was incredible in that role, and she made that theatre very very strong. Yeah. And now we have, um, you know, and, but all things change, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, and and or, you know, sometimes fortunately, sometimes unfortunately. And now we have a new era with Claire Watson, and and mm. that will, because of the lack of the other two theatres. Claire has taken on, in some ways, she's taken on a job where a lot of, there's a lot of expectation because there's only, a, you know, the opportunities feel like they're they're less. Mm. And of course, we're all a little bit desperate in our own way. Yeah. You know, trying to make work, we want to be recognised. And you know, luckily, you know, w, uh, Perth has the um, Blue Room because the Blue Room, of course, being the crucible of, of many great artists, mm. you know, who, people who go on to become great artists, like, you know, Last Great Hunt yeah, um, right. collaborators. And, you know, luckily we have that because that model really does at least help our, you know, our new artists. And, you know, some places don't have that, you know, mm. a, a, to the same degree. So we're very lucky that's supported. There is a great gap in um, Perth, in the middle sector, you know, for mid-career people, yeah. probably and established, you know, there's not a lot of work for established artists. I'm, you know, uh, I'm probably one of the few older playwrights that's that's got work at the moment, mm-hmm. you know, um, other than if we make our own work, and you know, and I'm always, always grateful for the opportunities I get. I'm, I live in gratitude because my, um, well, my writerly well-being is dependent on on the great you know uh, on other people and 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 I'm really aware and I think you know my note to artists is always be 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 really grateful of every moment and enjoy it because you know just just because I have a work in the state theater this week you know once it's over 
who knows, you know, I may never be heard of again, you know. So it's just, it's just an industry that thrives in the moment and then seems not to, you know. We've been through periods where the theatres have been very, or been dark. You know, Perth, Perth suffers more because we're isolated and when, you know, you lose something as big as, you know, Deck Chair Theatre was our writer's theatre in a way, you know. It was, it was the theatre that did new work here and... So losing that for a playwright, you know, I felt that apart from, you know, the sadnesses around, you know, losing the theatre itself, it's like another opportunity goes. And, you know, when, when you've invested... Like, I, I was a, a teacher for many years and I gave up teaching because the, the pull to, to invest in my playwriting was very, very, very strong, you know, mm. because I believe more than anything I am a storyteller. And I... Suddenly, you know, I, I say this thing where I used to be able... When I was a teacher, I could afford to go to the theatre all of the time. I could go any time I liked, and I did. But now I'm an artist, and I can't even afford a theatre ticket. You know, I can't afford to go to um, the State Theatre Company sometimes because... Which is the theatre that I work in, because that's... You know, sometimes I'm, my wages don't, don't allow that because I'm busy trying to pay pay for things yeah survive <laughs> i think there's a ah, oh, it's just yeah it's interesting point like like i i think like not not to get too political because i think that's what artists try have to be they have to be somewhat neutral yeah totally. in a sense yeah but obviously we have to do so, uh, shine the artistic light on saying no this is wrong and I think some action should be... I don't know, it just depends. Well, see, the problem is when, when people don't recognise the place of the arts, it's really hard to fight that. You know, you, I, I was a bit of a Gillard fan, but I was so disappointed because Julia Gillard didn't love theatre. And I thought, you know, she, in every other way, that woman for me was a very strong, wonderful woman, but she didn't... She didn't love theatre, and and or I didn't, and because of that, I felt like maybe she doesn't love the arts. And if you don't love the arts, you can't, you maybe don't recognise. And I'm using her as an example. Yeah. You know, that's not fair because in a lot of ways, there's so many you know other people. But it was just that I really liked her, and I wanted her to be a great, you know, you know, I wanted her to wave the flag for the arts. Yeah. We now in, in WA though have David Templeton, yeah. and he is apparently an arts lover. And look, I know the money doesn't necessarily any stronger but it really starts with great belief in the arts and knowing that the richness of your culture is very much tied up in in art and artists and us preserving stories you know we're the storytellers and the mirrors and on society and without that you know just think of Rome and Greece and and Europe and all those beautiful you know things that we love to go and visit and revere those museums and those art galleries and you know, that's us too. Somebody has to do it here, and it needs to be revered. It's a, it's to tell tell stories in Australia. You know, you're giving up an awful lot because in you know, in a lot of European countries, it's so much like France, for example. You know, the artists are much more supported, and you know, here we tend to get the ah, oh, yeah, the lazy layabouts here. You know, twiddling with their thumbs and doing making pink things that sh- are shiny that stand in the you know or whatever it is and oh, what the what's that what the fuck's that all about and you know it's it's like we need it, you know it has to come from the top it has to be top down it needs to you know if if the government say that the arts are important there should be this massive push it should be on tv you know tv's 
universal. We should be on TV. Yeah. We, should be, we should have people talking about the arts and saying how wonderfully enriching it is for your children to grow up knowing about, you know, the art, you know, having gone... They should be in art galleries. You know, if you go to, if you go to Paris, there's little hordes of little children sitting there copying the great artworks of the world. I mean, you know, it's just... Oh, Australia needs to grow up in that way, you know? It's very pocketed. There, there's, 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 it, art shouldn't be elite, you know? Yeah. And, and there are, yes, we, we do have ballet companies and opera companies, and they're fantastic in all, in all ways, in all states. You know, they're fabulous. But, it, you know, it's also not the um, fair of your, your regular person. They don't get introduced to it. They need to be... It, it shouldn't just be the province of people with money. You know, I'm a, I'm a real advocate of uh, arts for... Arts Arts should be out there in everyone's life, you know, not TV. You know, TV's good. TV's good. <laughs> I'm not knocking TV. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it, we could use TV to sell the idea of the arts and then people will feel enriched. The beauty, it's about beauty and, and it's about the soul. It's mm. about the spirit, you know. All of these things are connected to the arts and it's about story and feeling like you belong and anyway I could go on for years oh but but no that's absolutely wonderful and it's great to hear you say that I was thinking because um two weeks ago I was interviewing Glenn Hayden and whoop, stop with the table Ryan um I was interviewing Glenn Hayden yes yes and the lovely a wonderful Glenn Hayden. Uh, director a lecturer teacher um actor w- wonderful and he in his episode he he, he did brought up that there's an interesting, like back in his, well, I don't want to say his day, but like, let, let's say in like the... When he was working here in Perth, when before he went to India. <laughs> there was, back then, there was like a, the community of artists, the young, the old, hung out. And he feels like now, because he is back in Perth, mm. and there's none of that. Like he was talking about like how he, he and the oh, wonderful team set up the Blue Room Theatre. Mm. And like how they... Like the, there's these parties and like all these old actors and young actors. And it's true. I actually remember going, being invited to parties and dinner with with older artists, with much kindness, just welcoming, welcoming, welcoming you into the industry. But the, it, things have changed though, because what's happened now is that is the arts have become the province, you know, the arts support particularly has become the province of younger people and. You know, it's, it seems like the elders thing has, has di- kind of dissipated and so it's really hard for an older artist in some ways and I, I, as you know, I really mm. love working with young people, etc. But, it, you know, in terms of trying to... It's almost like speaking a different language in a way, you know, mm. and it's really up to... These days, it's, I, I feel like it's up to younger artists to extend a hand to... to older artists as well you yeah. know because that mix did used to happen and but we used to also meet in foyer you know like we would be at the bar together the bars would stay open yeah. like at the at the um Subiaco theater what is now the Subiaco theater center there was a bar and after the shows we'd all sit around into the early hours talking arts and you know that doesn't happen i uh, you know in a, in a more general sense and in that way there was a great sharing between the more experienced people and the uh, younger people. I suspect it does happen, but I think um, it happens maybe with young... It's a different world, and, and, you know, I'm not knocking it at all. I'm just saying things have shifted, and I think young people, young theatre makers, do sit around and talk, and I think they, mm. they probably talk at great depth. But 
the sharing that perhaps used to go on now seems to be more orchestrated into forums and, and things like that, which I, I think isn't as valuable. I think it's nothing like being in the room with somebody over a, a great meal and talking about experiences, you know. And yes, Glenn is right, it did used to happen more. I'm very curious, what, what, what made you come to Perth in the first place? Oh. Sorry to go. <laughs> I came to Perth for love, actually. Which, wow. Yes. I, yeah, I was very young. And um, I have, I, um, it's funny that you should say that because la, a couple of two years ago, I did um, Women of Letters and, and I actually wrote my letter to the person that I came across Australia to be with and who obviously is part of my history because I'm now married to, to Steve Turner. <laughs> But, you know, Steve knows this story. But, you know, it's... Um, so I, I did that and I stayed because I really... I just loved Perth. Uh, Perth, you know, particularly at the time that I came, was just so uncomplicated and lovely. And then I, I, I studied here and, and, and made a life here. And I, I, I made very... I could have gone back east. I, I had, you know, links in the east, but I just... I don't know. It's something about lifestyle, and and I because I grew up in the territory, mm. um, in both Darwin and Catherine, I I think I needed to be in a place that was a, uh, had a bit more space and air. And I'm very curious, like Darwin. Do do you go back to the territory? I haven't been back for a while. I do still have family in Darwin. Um, I grew up. I I was in Catherine. I was in Darwin and then I was in Catherine and then I was back in Darwin. And I think the minute that school finished, I got on a plane with two friends. We were very young. I was only 16. And essentially, that's it. I, because there was no university, yeah. Yeah. you know. And I, I, I had duxed my, um, you know, my year levels through school and, you know, I was, I was quite academic. And I wanted more I didn't know what I wanted but I wanted more and I, I got the opportunity to you know my, and my friends were both very academic and so we hijacked it out of town man <laughs> we got on a plane and we never went back yeah and um it was a great thing that I did because I all of my not all but many of my um classmates ended up married very young and with children and and I didn't do that until later and and managed to you know, get a degree and, and have a, li- a lot of life experience in between so, and go travelling. And, and I'm so glad that I, that I got on that plane, really. Why are we? Yeah. That's, yeah. That, that, I feel like back then, like, you can take... Because, well, I've been born and live in Perth and I love Perth. I don't want to leave. But, you, you know, you'd be well... But, you must leave and come back. But, yeah, Do to that. come back. But, wow, to take a risk to leave, to get on a plane, like, at 16, that's... Oh. Well, you know, I, I guess... Um, I don't know. I, uh, it's just probably it's probably personality. I think you know. I I always you know like it in the same way that I love to travel even now. And you know I love I'm I'm interested in. I just knew there was more to be had. And I I because I've always been really highly creative. I really um, needed somewhere to put that. I didn't know that. I couldn't put a name to that at the time. I had no idea. I was like in total you know non-knowing land of course being being young and and but also being very bold and brave and and not willing to uh, very shy but but in my heart a very brave person and and wanting to make something of my life I really had that very strong sense I needed to do something with my life 
And I, you know, I grew up in tents and sheds and, you know, in this gypsy life that my parents had. And, you know, for sometimes we'd settle down, but we were, even if we lived in a town, we would be moving from house to house or, you know, it was just a really, a very rich upbringing in some ways because it, it was, you know... I don't know if you've ever lived in a shed where, you know, there's snakes on the rafters and big spiders, but this is the truth. And um, you just... Uh, but, it, it, you know, that's all I knew, and I so I didn't question it. It was just the fun of... You know, there was a lot of fun in that. But also, you know, it just... When I got to the point where I realised that my life was my own, I wanted something more than that, and I wanted some stability as well, because... But, you know, all of that has added to my rich writerly life because I have a lot to draw on, to be honest. Yeah, and I come from a massive family too, a big, big, crazy, dysfunctional family. And that's great fodder. <laughs> wow. Absolutely. I think, like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, my family's... Oh, I think family's, like, one of the most important ingredients for an, a, a, good, a good artistic life. I think travel, family, culture... Yeah. All of those things, you know, and, and even if you're, if you're, you know, I don't have one of those great enviable families that meet on Sundays and <laughs> love each other and, you know, I don't have that. And I mean, in some ways I wish I did, but look, I haven't. And, um, but all of that adds anyway, it makes you the kind of person, you know, and, and I think it made me a very strong person. And I think that's a good thing for, a, for an artist. You have to be because, you know, we're up against the odds in a lot of ways. Yeah. Which sounds dramatic, but that's okay. I work in drama. So the Lighthouse Girl. Yes. Did a quick Google. <laughs> um, now, I've just got this question. I'm just interested in: Does making adaptations from original authors frighten you? I know, I like because um, the Lighthouse Girl. It was a novel. Uh, it's, well, it was two novels. It was a, by the the lovely Diane Wolfer, and I got asked to do that project. Uh, based on the the one novel, The Lighthouse Girl, but there really, you know, it's a beautiful story, but there wasn't enough substance in it, and I was like, oh, damn, I really want to do this, but I don't think this can fill out an entire, you know, state theatre company performance. But then, luckily, she had this second novel, and it, and I looked at it and went, I can do this. There There is enough substance if I put the two together, and so I dovetailed half of the second novel, and up to a certain point and it no not daunting at all exciting 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 I just love it now I want to do more and I you know I, I, I love story I love to get in and find out about you know it, it burns in me and excites me when someone asks you to do something if something's not born of yourself hmm. occasionally it's like you know you just go think of it in a very intellectual academic kind of a way and go blah, blah, blah. But then, if, if you want to take on that work, because sometimes, you know, you just need to work, then you have to find something to love in it. And I always do. I just find the, the kernel of whatever it is I've been asked to, to do and say, what, what, can, what do I love in this? And then I, I, I go with that, and I'm, usually I end up just loving what I'm doing. Because that happened with the Anzac Project, with, um, mm. with the Dreaming Hill as well, with mm. Waco. And, you know, it just... You just find something to ignite you, uh, you know, as an artist, and, and then then you can be happy. Yeah. Yeah. So not daunting. No, lovely. I'm only the reason why I'm 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 very interested in adaptations was because I think a couple of years ago, I was a feature film extra for this sci-fi film they were filming in a Perth. It was quite a big deal. I can't 
I, I don't want to, I can't remember the name, but um, it, it was an interesting gig. But it was interesting on that day that I was, I was just like an office bloke walking the street. Mm-hmm. But it was the same day that they got this film was being adapted by this uh, American writer. She wrote this uh, wonderful novels, sci-fi series novels. I can't remember what they're about. And and she was actually she was filming her cameo on that day. So I, I got to meet with this author of the original work, and I was talking to her and chatting away, and I was saying, "Do you feel like?" The, the writer of this film did a truthful adaptation and she basically went and said, well, no, not really. A lot of things have changed from my original work. Absolutely. And, and look, it's, it's the same in The Lighthouse Girl. You hmm. know, people... I, it's really interesting. I, I got an ad... Not an ad, a review. The play got a review the other day in... You know, we've had many reviews, all of them fabulous. You know, we've had fantastic reviews all around that without you know without a doubt but in one of the reviews I was really interested to find that my name was not mentioned once and that the writing the dialogue writing was attributed to Diane and which is great you know of course some of that you know all of I've had to write all of the dialogue based on on whatever is in the novel you know but I've had to construct that too to make it dramatic because it's you know Novel writing is one thing, and 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 writing the theatre is another. And anyone that does that work understands the vast difference between the two. And because not you know taking work straight from a novel will never work straight on you know onto the page. But Diane's work, of course, is very beautiful, and and just you know I, I was able to do that. But when I sort of read that review, I was really sad. I went, this person doesn't even acknowledge that there has been a playwright working on this and structuring it and you know three years work on it and um so that i found that very interesting yeah i'm having this flashback and i don't know why but do i'm trying to remember because france yes because last time so you were going to france i think to watch the world cup i believe the rugby world cup it must have been 2008 we were not going to watch the Rugby World Cup. It will happen to be on the same time. I don't know, no. Oh, well, 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 if you said that to Steve Turner, he would like, like, look at you strangely. No, we're, we're totally non-football-y people, although we love, you know, we think sports is very good for you. Yeah. yeah. But, but good for the community. There's a, you visited, you visit France a bit, didn't you? I don't know, I had this association with you and France. We've been to France twice, and we did oh, go okay. there. At the time you're talking about, we were heading off to live there for two months. Which oh, was an okay. extraordinary and uh, uh, you know extraordinary thing to choose to do at the time, and we just lived there, and we we used to go to language school in the morning, yeah. and we spent time just just being because we we like to travel and stay, you know we do we do take short breaks of course, but um, if we go to Europe, we do like to spend a bit of time in a place. We try not to flip from place to place. Yeah. But France is, yeah, I have actually got French in my um, family background. And so there's a little bit of interest from that. You know, there's this old story that in my family that we once had very wealthy, and it's, it's a joke when it <laughs> makes me laugh, given we grew up in tents and things. But uh, we had this very wealthy connect, you know, family mm. connection, which isn't that far back, actually. But when they died, the, all the money after a certain time got and houses and whatever got passed to the chancellery, their French chancellery, and oh. there was, they, they, they did try to, um, and, you know, so it must have been a little way back. Yeah. Um, but there was no way of getting that back. Yeah. It was just, I think it was my 
grandmother or my, no, my great-grandmother was, was half French or was French. My great-grandmother was French, my great-grandfather was English or something like that. And yeah, so it was back, back then, but nobody knew about this in, on the English side until, which became the Australian side, um, until after the fact. So there you go. So I have this French thing going on as well. Because I remember, so I love France. I love it. Yeah, I, I just, I just, I've, I just got this vibe. France. There's something about France. With well, it's the, just because at the time we were going off to, yeah. <laughs> but we had been there before, prior to that, and we, we will probably continue to go back. I think you did touch this because I was going to ask you: Are there any deceased theatre companies that you miss? And obviously, the, the deck chair theatre company. Oh look, Perth Theatre Company as well. You and know that we, yeah. we've lost Perth Theatre Company and and deck chair, and both were completely different. And that middle tier was, that was a middle, you know, Perth Theatre, they, they were in the middle tier, you know, they were between the Blue Room and the, um, you know, for newbies and uh, new artists. And I, I, yeah, it's hard when the whole middle tier gets, there's nothing yeah. in there, you know. We have the niche theatres, you know, like the wonderful um, Yuri Yarkin. Yes. But it's, it's just a great loss. Yes, so uncategorically, yes, I miss them. But, you know, hopefully something will rise from the ashes and we will, you know, maybe there'll be, maybe the government here will see fit to, particularly with David Templeton mm. loving the arts as he does, you know, maybe they will see fit to reinstate something at that middle level. That'd be nice. I think that's what needed because I remember last year... Because, uh, as everyone knows by now, I did the the WAPA, uh, the WAPA BPA course, which was great performance mm. making. And you get to learn so many things about, de obviously, devising and also the, the mechanics of theatre, um, i.e., you know, the business structure, the, the, the technical, just a lot. Yes. And our, our last massive assignment for third year was to develop our own um, independent project. And we got mm. to perform at the Blue Room Theatre. And I remember we, we... So we did our season there. And there was this lady who was invited from Carriage Works in Sydney, mm. the massive, um, that big theatre. Complex, yeah. Complex. Mm. And she was saying the problem, like she, she really enjoyed the work, and we were just talking, it was, just, it was a wonderful learning experience. And she said, she, she, she made this wonderful observation, she says, the problem with Perth is there's no middle tier. Absolutely, which means there's no career path, you yeah. know, for artists. Yeah. And look, but, you know, there, there sort of was before. You at least had some way of, you know, because you really need stepping stones to move from being an independent artist. You know, because I spent, I spent years as an independent artist and I still work, I still do that occasionally as I did with Project Zan. Ah, but that is so difficult and hard, you know. But, you know, I, lo I mean, I love that project, but it was very difficult. As, and so independent artists have their, you know, it's, it's a hard life because you're always having to... You're always in that land of trying to apply for things and having to, you know, you get knocked back and, or you've got to apply for several different, to different agencies so that you can just get one project up and, oh, it, it's so difficult. But we do it because we love what we do. But when you work for companies, like now that I've had the good fortune to be employed by Black Swan mm. and to work with Black Swan artists, oh... It's so hard to think about being an independent again, you know, yeah. because it's so... To be part of a team where you're not bearing all of the responsibility, and that's what happens on, you know, in, with independent work, you're bearing a lot of responsibility, and, you know, there's, there's stories of people having to 
um, in, in Perth losing their houses and things mm. because of the cost of their projects and you know it's a little tricky but it's also just that thing of bearing the responsibility. The one thing from that I wanted to ask you what's it like because you know because obviously there's, there's so many wonderful you know artists there's a lot of competition basically and I think the one thing that I want to do before I die even if I don't get into the business even if I don't become established and whatnot the one thing I want to do before I die is to be in a rehearsal room with professional actors, but um, actors who, who who's their their main job is to be an actor. Mm. Well, there's a lot of those those um, people in Perth. There's we have mm. a lot of very well established actors. There's uh, who whose main job is, but most of them also there's very few actors that are actually um, don't have to support themselves another way. But it you know. It remains that their main profession still is is performing, but you know it it always depends on how much money is out in the environment. You know, really, okay. yeah, as to how many of them are, how many actors are actually making their fortune by performing. <laughs> you know, it, it can be feast and famine. It's the same. <laughs> yeah. Feast and famine. Oh, yeah, totally agree. It would be very silly of me not to talk about Fringe. Yes. What? Um, <laughs> um, I'm very interested, um, like, again, talking to uh, Glenn Hayden last week. Do you think a festival like Fringe, where there is so much going on, I know we were talking a little bit about this before, but, you know, when there's so much going on, do you think a festival like Fringe needs, like, cur uh, curation or, you know, management or uh, organisation, like a curate? Um, look, I, I, I think it's a really, you know, a fringe like Perth where there are so many performances I, I, or so many offerings, mm. I, I think it's a very difficult thing to do to cur curate every piece of work because it would, it, I think it's very difficult to... I, I don't know what standard you would use to do that yeah. um, because everything is so vastly different. Look, I, I believe that... You know, the fringes are the fringes are kind of a this this mad mad time where you have all of these performances on offer and you it's a bit of a grab bag. You you know, of course, every if you read every blurb, they all say they're great. Of course, we do. We have to. You know, we want you to come. Mm. It's a lucky dip in the sense that sometimes you go and the, you you personally feel that. It was a load of nonsense or, God, you know, I'll never get that 20 bucks back or whatever it is. Or those, I'll never get that hour back of my life, you know, kill me now. <laughs> but, you know, there's often really, really great stuff and, yeah. and inspiring stuff. And even if it's not perfect, it's, um, it's fun or it's entertaining or there's something wonderful about the artist or there's, there's you know, the potential in the work. And, look, I, I, I think it's a really difficult question because I think you'll kill the nature of Fringe if once it's too highly curated. Yeah. I think the fact that Perth Fringe has some curated aspects, like Summer Nights from yeah. Blue Room, you know, there's 40 works that get done and, and 600 seconds as well under that banner, and, and they're, highly you know, they're highly curated. They're, you know, the Blue Room is very um, taught about what they what they choose to put under their banner, which is great. And Pika's the same. Pika mm. is a high-level, you know, a wonderful organisation with, with, with a high level of curation and, and consequently are doing, you know, they do incredible, incredibly interesting, highly exciting, I think, exciting even if they're not all 
to everybody's taste, of course not. Um, and, but that's a great thing because you get exposed to things that you maybe wouldn't, um, you wouldn't go to or make yourself. Yeah. I have to mention that we are re recording outside in this wonderful uh, garden, and I have to. And I thought it would—I thought it would be a good idea to get some ambience. And I wasn't—I was not expecting a massive train um, breaking. Well, it's funny because um, my uh, grandfather—he used to work at—we're in Midland. <laughs> we're not in Midland. We're in oh, Woodbridge. Woodbridge. Um, Midland in... is across the tracks. I love Midland. <laughs> Um, he used to work at the Midland uh, Railway Workshops. Yeah, many, oh, fantastic. Many, 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 many years ago. Do you know, it's really interesting because years ago, Tony Bonney, who used to run the, um, the Blue Room before, yeah, the previous, he was the first person that ran it, which, which was, I think, the Australian, the West Australian, oh, I had another name. Anyway, mm. I, um, so the, the lovely Tony Bonney used to, do this and he had this idea to do a project on the railway workshops because there was uh, and and so I st and he asked me to do it and we went about getting you know I was exploring all the local history because there's a lot of local history mm. from the workers and a lot of the old boys were still living you know were still living around Midland at the time and then of course and and because the workshops had just closed and I um Oh, I love that project, and I had this idea I was going to bring in all these old, you know, people from the community to form the choir because there is this Midland choir formed oh. out of workers, and there's a workers' choir, and put them all into overalls, and you know, just have this <laughs> hundred strong, you know, I had all these yeah. an AV vision, you know, of old steam trains, and we were going to do do it in the workshops up against the rolling stock, you know, of of the old trains. And of course, that project died. I still think it's a viable project and should be done. Mm. You know, and at some point or other, I hope that I get to do to do that. Um, we, but we, you know, in the way of, of of a lot of good projects, the, the lack of finance did, you know, was the undoing of that. But yes, however, now the Midland uh, workshops have been converted uh, into this whole precinct of learning, and they have. Um, originally said that it will. They originally they're going to put in a, a big theatre and a small theatre, and um, so we we actually moved into Woodbridge because it's next door to the workshops, and the, and we do believe that this will become a very vital arts area at you know in the future. I'm not sure if that'll be in my future. It could be a long time down the track, but um, it, it's a it's a lovely place to li be living near. You know, living near these old workshops is, it's kind of got this sense of place and history and, and it appeals to me. Uh, yeah, I, I really love it because um, last year when I was graduating, I was going to make, um, I was going to try and, I was, I was contacting the Midland Junction Arts Centre. That's a really interesting Yes, MJAC, yeah. MJAC. Yeah. Um, but that, that sort of fell through because there was um, talk of uh, changing of um, management. But I really like the area of Midland and Guildford. Look, this whole area is is takes a long, you know, things take a long time to change. And Mid Midlands, you know, ha formerly had a, a bad reputation for yeah. whatever reason. You know, it it's been a bit of a wild place, and indeed it was. I, you know, I, I first moved up into the hills for a, a lot of time before I moved back down onto the flats. And I actually had a house in Midland because I uh, because when when um, we had Company M, 
I, I wanted somewhere very, very accessible. So I, I bought a house very close to the Great Northern Highway. Mm. Just a little old house that Steve and I did up, which turned, you know, turned it into a beautiful, beautiful place to live. But it was, um, meanwhile, around us, the, Midland was a bit crazy at the time. But for a writer, I just have to say, and, and probably for Steve as an actor too, you know, it's great. I love being among people who, you know, who demonstrate some level of flawedness. Yeah. You know, without, you know, it's just that's the way a lot of people around here were and still are. There's some crazy, crazy people that live around here, and I love it. I absolutely get off. I suppose I kind of get off on it in an artistic way because there's so much to draw from. I, lo I love go every time I go out in Midland not so much Guildford Guildford's a much more mannered place mm, and you know it no. has a kind of a history to it but it's strange that the two places are right next door to each other and, and Woodbridge Woodbridge is so quiet and, and, and lovely and lush and, and right just across the tracks is Midland where this craziness can, can go on at times and yet it's a wonderful place it has history and, and in the way of all you know I, I remember as a young you know I was about 17 and when I first left um, the Territory and I, I used to I lived in Melbourne, but I would go to Sydney with my young, crazy friends. We would drive to Sydney for mad weekends, and we would stay in Paddington, which you now cannot buy into, but at the time it was just a slum. Paddington was a slum, and, mm. you know, people go, oh, God, that place, and, you know, we would, um, you know, these days I probably, you know, you, you can't you can't afford to, you know, buy property in, in a oh. place like that, and, and that's what happens to all inner-city places, and Midland... Is it is a, going to be a city in its own right? I think eventually, and people will be going. Oh, you know, those people that have got real <laughs> estate, yeah, in Midland are so yeah. lucky. Yeah, you know, and 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 I will, I would smack anyone that would say anything. You know, some I remember um, being in a room with comedians and, or a comedian rather, and <laughs> they were using Midland as the brunt of their jokes, and I felt. I didn't know I felt so passionate about yeah. Midland, but I did. I felt like I felt really cross and going. That's where I, you know, well, I don't actually live there anymore. But that's that's you know a real place with real people, and you you shouldn't be joking about that. That's a horrible. You know, I did. I took umbrage. <laughs> I have to say that we are slowly, slowly. Well, we're, we actually are running out of time. But I've just got two questions. I'm just interested. In th this question, just curious. Do you think? Artists can retire. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> no, look, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I, um, I think it's like anyone else. I think it's about your own personal stamina, and and I think, I don't think your artistic head retires because mm. I think when you know, being an art a person that's it's in you, it's like it's like a thing you're born with, and. I doubt that I will ever be able to let it go. I think I will. My my dad used to write, and he, which is he was quite creative though. He came from a generation of, and it was very, you know, blue collar, and didn't have the opportunities to express that. And I, but he did, he was a writer, and he wrote and wrote and wrote, and he actually died. He got up from his chair, writing, whatever it was he was writing. He used to write science fiction or something. And yeah, <laughs> which he left to me, and I have never read. To be honest, oh. I must, one year I will. I've got a box of his work, and I must actually sit down and read it. But I just haven't been able to bring myself to do that. Um, <laughs> it's gold mine. It's yeah, gold it probably mine. is. It probably is. And you know, yeah, I'll read it. Mm. I'll read it. 
Um, yeah, but, you know, I think it'll be like that. I, I suspect that people, you can't lose something, you know, you can't retire from something that is in your heart. You can't. It's part of you. It's very strong. So. And to sign off, it's been a bit of a tradition here at the Perthian Chronicles. Um, I... Anyway, so I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but hopefully in 10 years' time, in the year 2027, I'd love to visit you again. Hopefully I'll meet with you before then, maybe nine years before. So in the year 2027, when we meet again, hopefully, I don't know where, we might be in France, we might be in... Hopefully. Or in Midland. (laughs) Yes, the great city of Midland with brilliant real estate on which I made my wealth because I was canny enough to actually buy here. In the year 2027, what would you like to plug? In the sense of a plug, um, like promote a play, an autobiography, a, a collection of poems. Me? For yeah. My, for myself? Yes. Imagine if you are... Or if you, or you, you don't have to plug anything. I don't oh. know. I, I would think I would like to plug the idea of mentorship, to be really oh, yeah. honest. I, I actually think... Look, you know, in the great... I had this wonderful teacher when I learned acting. And he, was, he was pretty amazing. And, um, but the one thing he used to say is, love the art in you and not you in the arts. And I am really, you know, I, so I'm always painfully aware... Not painfully, but sometimes painfully. I'm always aware of the fact that we're just a little tiny dot in all of this. You know, I'm, I'm never self-important. I don't. I, I can't operate like that. I think I've maybe added a little bit to the, you know, the arts collection of the universe, but it's minute. You know, it's tiny. But, but so, but what's more important in all of that is are the people that are in it and and the shared thought and the collective thought and the collective beauty that comes from it or the collective story. And I just. If I'm, I think it's probably harks back to what I said before. It's not that I want, you know, I want someone to say she did a good thing, you know, that oh, I read something of hers once, or she she had a, you know, you know, she did something. But I want it to be because, um, I don't know, in ten years' time, when I am probably not a practicing artist, although I'm hoping to at least practice for another ten years, it might be the day after that that I actually, <laughs> because I do have a plan. Um, you know, I hope I hope to be vital until until whatever. But I I I don't I can't plug my own work. There's, it's not possible for me to do that. I just hope that somebody discovers it occasionally and that into the future. You know, because my work is in the Batty Library. I hope that um, you know my grand my my new grandchild who's coming in July, oh. first one. Um, I hope that they they go into the Batty Library or whatever it is by yeah. then and and they they read a play written by their grandma. You know, that's all. Oh, that's beautiful. Neely, thank you very much for being on this chapter of the Chronicles. My pleasure, totally. Thank you, Ryan.